0: Hello and welcome to the Create Invent podcast. We uh, where we interview makers and uh, creators and inventors and, and everything in between. Today we have Ryan Bates and he runs a a awesome store called Retro Built Games. Like I guess store maker conglomerate. What, what what would you how would you describe yourself, Ryan? Um, it it, it was a store. I have scaled back and it's primarily YouTube
1: now, which is just education or edutainment.
0: Okay. And is this what you do full-time or do you have like a, a day day job too? I
1: I have a full-time day job, but this business started as a full-time job and I ran it full-time for about five years.
0: Oh, that's that's interesting. So did you run it part-time and then full-time and then back to part-time or, or is it kind of a... Um,
1: so the long story was I was working full-time as an engineer and in my city a makerspace opened up, just popped up out of nowhere and it was tech shop which i feel like you guys might have heard this name they were kind of a big name brand running the like a gym kind of vibe membership for fabrication equipment so they got a grant in our city and they just showed up and i mean i was there like day one uh so i was i was moonlighting there teaching And doing whatever I could because they give you a free membership if you teach so many hours. So after full-time work, I would go there. uh, And then, you know, I was just like messing around, learning stuff. Started making arcade cabinets. um, But big ones are always hard. Uh, So I made a small one. And then someone's like, you should put that on Kickstarter. So I did. Uh, So it was fully funded in a month, $28,000. And I just like, like just was like head in my hands like every week at work I'm like I think I'm gonna quit this job and just do it (laughs) and then I did and I ended up doing it for five years the landscape changed drastically and when I invested into doing this as a full-time business I had always made the condition like no decision will ever be an emotional decision so like when it's time to pull out because the landscape's changing it's time to exit gracefully in my terms and not like dwindle my finances or anything like that right so it was so it was like 2000
0: so, oh it just uh you mentioned your city you, you live in is cincinnati is that is that correct pittsburgh pittsburgh, pittsburgh pennsylvania yeah pittsburgh cincinnati originally you know.
1: it's i'm originally from like cleveland area um but when i graduated the first job was like pittsburgh so here i am okay oh, some of my favorite a...
2: guests we've had are from pittsburgh <laughs> yeah that's right, right. yeah Stephen yeah, haws you... from the lumen picking place is in pittsburgh also oh is he yeah hmm
1: okay there's yeah. i i don't even know like i mean these people are usually usually to them themselves so yeah. it's it's hard to know like oh you're here
0: um yeah that's just how it is well yeah no that's well that's interesting so then you basically you saw the landscape change and you said okay i'm gonna go back get a full-time job and run this as more or less i guess not a hobby but basically an income producing enterprise on the side is that kind of is that accurate i'm really yeah, bummed yeah. out
2: to hear that it you had to scale back that uh well hey, boy i thought retro gaming would be as big as ever
1: so the landscape was changing because the idea was no longer unique and novel so um it got out enough that other manufacturers uh oh. in particular arcade one up basically saw that market and went full scale. So I didn't I didn't seek any venture capitalists or mm. a, like funding. I wanted to own the entire business myself. It just wanted I wanted it to be a passion project, which is kind of a conflict of interest when you like need to scale to be competitive. So I was always gonna be like two steps behind and that's fine. Okay. But well, that, basically that when arcade one ups started to appear in Walmarts And like Micro Center (laughs) also started making their own arcade kits sold in stores. Um, And like Micro Center and I talked with Micro Center about partnering, didn't work, just didn't agree. Um, And and basically everyone was doing what I was doing, but cheaper and then they had all the connections to be in brick and mortar retail. So that was the signs of like, okay, it might get harder. Uh, And then uh, we had um, leadership in the u.s that decided to put 20 percent imports on everything coming from china that's that's all my supplies so costs go up 20 percent across the board right. um so it was a number of these factors that were like all right that's i'm gonna start looking for full-time employment again uh, didn't right. give it up just made the
0: graceful scale back no that's that's very um I don't, it's it's good, good of you to do that. And, and it seems like to me, if you, if you go back at a normal job, all of a sudden you've got this normal job and you've got this product line that, so you're probably, financially, it's probably a very good thing because you've got that that main job support and something that can kind of continuous income. I, I'd have to assume.
1: You you can't assume correctly. And I mean, any, any passion that you turn into full-time income, like I got to make money to eat. And pay bills. It changes how you feel about stuff. So exiting out was not a tough decision to basically come back and be nostalgic again about this hobby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I um, it's interesting because I my I guess my quote unquote full time job. I, I I worked as an engineer for somebody else for a long time or somebody uh, s- several different companies, and you know now I, I write about technology full time. And it does it does kind of change how you think about it. it you know, it's, it's a number of years ago. I guess it was years ago, a company said they wanted to you know hire somebody else to help help me with some stuff I was doing, and I contacted Pat. I was like, oh, you wanna you wanna do this? He's like, well, I don't know about I don't know about getting paid for it because that would just take the fun out of it. Because he writes a, he, what what do you say a half million pages on your not pages oh, words words. On your words I think I'm
2: up at about seven or eight hundred thousand words of blog posts now. I think was the math I. That's, that's a lot that's of what words. word count told me.
0: Gosh. Yeah. That's a lot of words, <laughs>
2: but it's a lot of time too. It's been over, you know, 12, 13 years now or something. It's a long time.
0: Yeah. So, so what, what now that you have a full-time job and, and can you tell us what you, what you do now? I mean, I engineer, yeah, I assume
1: my, my, and l- listen, looking, looking for the jobs was the hardest part because I was, I was happy and content being in a field that I chose to be in <laughs> And I mean, this was the most fun I had ever had as an engineer to kind of be in the games industry and like on the sidelines. Um, And I was making stuff because as an engineer, the, the first jobs I had were, you know, you're the lowest on the ranks. So you do the grunt work of like writing technical documents or traveling overseas for like a week at a time to get uh, drawings approved by a manufacturer. And I was like, ah, hmm. I don't, this isn't really what I, I want to, I want to do more design. Yeah. Uh, so uh, eventually the job I have now is I'm a manager for a 16,000 square foot makerspace at Carnegie Mellon university. So that's oh, nice. a public facing position. Yeah. So I, I see oversee all of fabrication uh, and it's, it's basically the most advanced, advanced the highest budget makerspace you can and only something like academia can actually make makerspaces viable so i'm just like wow i don't know how i got here
0: yeah i mean it sounds like okay you know you had a good job extremely good job but then i mean it's all in some ways it seems like you have an even better job now i mean oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. the
1: the one thing that working as an engineer at the time just because i was inexperienced i was out of college and you, you don't get the best jobs then um, I was always looking for a creative outlet because um, sometimes like that itches at you if you can't do something creative, uh, right. and I didn't find that. But at this job, well, it's it's totally different now. Oh yeah, um, but but I'm a full time educator essentially. I teach other people the skills that I picked up like learning with scraps, and I I also teach the future set of engineers. So I still do a lot of engineering, but it's the much more like fun um, razzle-dazzle part that you can convince students, like, oh, you can do anything as an
0: engineer. Um, yeah. I just k- kind of squirreled my way into this position. And, <laughs> and, then, and then they graduate and start writing technical <laughs> documents.
1: I, you know, you, hey, this is a reality, and and this is what we try to say. Like, experience means a lot more than, you know, your grades, but you got to yeah. get the well, grades first. Yeah,
0: that's right. No, I mean, I will say, you know, when I graduated – the, the neat thing was when i when i was going through school they had me do a i had me i i did a co-op program where basically they employed me at a at a company and i more or less they let me have the run of the machine shop and they they actually hired me afterwards and you know it was neat because even though maybe i wouldn't have thought so before graduating you know you when you work in manufacturing which which is what that was you get to really see the design process from start to finish and i mean it's it's small small things but it's all kind of custom machinery for making big-time big time stuff, and I thought that was, you know, I, I thought that was cool. Um, you know, sometimes it was stressful, too, when they don't work, but that's that's another story.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, that's something our students experience beforehand. Um, a lot of their courses, they have to think of an idea and then execute it in, you know, a prototyping manner, and a lot of these people, these students, you know, have to sleep in the bed they make, which is, like, I didn't think this design through, but my ambition is up here. My skills are here. And it's really humbling to them. Um, It makes them a better engineer to just understand the idea, the execution, the design have to all be copaesthetic. And experience is the only life lesson to get out of all that.
0: Yeah. I I had another engineer tell me, you know, more experienced engineer, somebody you very much look up to. He's like, you know, sometimes you just have to know when to step back and punt. And that's, you know, that's right. You know, you go down a path and you realize it's not working. You know, a lot of the time you just have the, you just, oh, I can just a little bit more. But sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes you, have you have to start over. that
2: fishing metaphor.
0: What, what is, what is that?
2: Fish or cut bait.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always. Uh, <laughs> or fish somewhere else.
2: Or fish somewhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> fail, failure is, isn't failure. It's experience. Um, knowing not how to do something is still as useful. Because, I mean, if you don't have any experience, you'll likely start in the wrong spot. But if you failed a lot, well, that's experience. And you might start in the
0: right direction when you step that first step. Right. So at this point, how many, how many hours a week do you think you work on uh, retro built games? Um
1: it's it's a little I'm
0: playing catch up because I bought a house last
1: year and I did a nice huge job. demolition thank you did a huge demolition project but uh, probably 4 hours a week oh. um, and that's really like um like uh, satisfying YouTube's algorithm which is like you know a, a relationship that's unhealthy for you but you can't get out of it Yep. Um. And and that's really just trying to keep up with like posting a video, um, and over analyzing like what makes a video do well. And this is an unhealthy relationship. But, um. Right. Yeah. Any anything I'm doing in the retro gaming world, um. I just make a video, and my main focus now is make it open source. Uh, Cause you know I leaned on a lot of what was open source, like building. Better on good ideas already, and yeah, I've 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 had my stab at it. It was fun, and it's time to just put stuff back so someone else can take the next better step that I couldn't.
0: So, so you say you know most of your time is, is YouTube, et cetera. But I mean, you still do sell a decent amount of kits and, and such at this point, right? Or is that or are you kind of stepping back from that a little bit? Um, right, right now it's PCBs. So oh yeah,
1: yeah, I, I sell a lot of circuit boards, which are half designs or like half ideas spun off from retro gaming um but I I I have I wrote a book too which was an accident um a publisher had like someone say they like I they can't do it can you finish this book and I was like wow I'm so naive enough I'll say yes not knowing how much work it was um so, so it's really just like um, education, like how to make an arcade cabinet. What's it like to start from step one? Um, that's that's really the main focus of my business. Um, all the old kits, like the little ones, I guess, like this one in this camera shot. Um, I'm planning on just making completely open source. The designs are free. Oh, nice. And just and you know just, just do that.
0: But but even with that, even if it's open source, people still buy the stuff. It, at least that's my. That's my assumption is that because, you know, not, every, not everybody wants to make their own PCB or, or can. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you I, give them the recipe,
1: there's there's still a huge demand for kits because the kits were the ultimate convenience factor to get exactly what somebody wants and then um, have that like IKEA effect. Like even if it's yeah. not anything special that that it's special to you because you put it together um, has way more value to the individual. And that's really what was always the feeling people want from retro gaming, because you're always romantic to these old games. And that experience is kind of like, you know, holding it close to you when you
0: build it. Right. You know, we had a guest on, or or actually Pat wasn't even here a long time ago, a guy named uh, Pocket83. I don't don't know if you, actually he's from uh, near Pittsburgh too, which is (laughs) weirdly enough, but, um, He's a huge, huge... His channel's not about retro gaming, but he's a huge retro gaming guy. And he was just... He had a video just basically just saying, this will never be as good as it... I don't know. It was very, very philosophical. But basically, like, you'll never capture that feeling again, which actually sounds kind of depressing. It it
1: does. But, man, when you come to terms to it, I think your approach is always for the best. Um, what What do
0: you mean by that?
1: So... Uh, let's do the probably going to be overanalyzed too much in the next year, but when the pandemic happened, retro gaming prices skyrocketed just to silly amounts and you're, you're buying these things, one because I guess you have the extra time now because you're not commuting and some people right. are just stuck at home, so you're buying these things because, okay, I'll pick up this hobby and hopefully relive some of the nostalgia I had back then um, but when you're paying these prices, you have to ask yourself, is, is this price equivalent to the experience that I'm remembering or that I'm just going to get from owning it? Um, and when you come to terms like, yeah, it's not about owning it. It was about, you know, sitting on your floor in your living room and playing it. That is an impossible memory to relive. Um, and you know the types of love like romantic love and obsessive love if you can if if you've ever heard of those, sometimes it's best to step back and look at how you feel about those video games and what is the experience you're trying to get
0: hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I built
2: my arcade cabinet about thirteen years ago, and I love it it's fantastic it's fun but you know about eight or nine years after that, an old friend of mine from We've been friends since the third grade. He flew down here and we played through Contra from the Nintendo Entertainment System, not the arcade for, you know, the two-player Contra. That was the most nostalgic thing I have ever done with my arcade cabinet, Mm. playing with somebody I used to play a game with 30-something years ago, again. It's fantastic.
1: And. I'm glad you had that experience. And I'm glad you said it, too, because, yeah, a, a lot of those memories were shared. Um, yes. They were more than the game. They were the experienced, like, with everything around you. Um, and I mean, anything you do when you're at a young age has a really deep impact on your brain. It's just hard to realize until you have time to, like, reflect it and look at it at scale. Yeah. It, but my cabinet is- doesn't
2: have the burn marks from people leaving their cigarettes on them like the arcades that yeah, yeah and i
1: mean yeah in your memory it's usually like the polished cleaner memory like i don't yeah, see that stuff like this smell of an right. arcade which is oh like 14 year olds and like body odor and huh. yeah and like red bull burps now so it's
0: yeah. yeah yeah i had on my list i was gonna ask you why do people like retro gaming but you've uh feel like we've covered that uh quite quite nicely
1: <laughs> so, yeah i think i so. think we've got deep on it but i've i've always loved it i love the games i love the simplicity gaming now i think especially how the market is you know the biggest it's ever been it's only getting bigger and most AAA companies are only looking for franchises that can do a billion dollars which is an insane amount of money to get out of one project but um, once,
0: you know, the taste was... When, when, you say, when you say AAA company, what do you... I assume that's not anti-aircraft artillery. What is...
1: I, I'm, like, the biggest publishers, uh, like Rockstar, Activision, Blizzard... Oh. Um, Ubisoft. Oh, okay. um, these are now, you know, the, the biggest... companies. Disneys of computer... Exactly. Computer, the franchises games. that have staying power, that, you know, right. collect a big audience. And then the gaming experience that's... Um, it's, it's never... Um, too far away from experimental and it's never too far away from like well this is the same thing we had last year just like newer and different um (laughs) so the grand theft autos the assassin's creeds the call of duties and yeah anything marvel and
0: disney that has Mm -hmm. a franchise that's loyal oh don't get me started i feel like it's like (laughs) i like i like these movies for a while but it's like after episode 50 years it's like yeah okay come up with something new we'll never get like 80s
1: action movies that were their own dumb franchise for like one and done it's it's yeah it's marvel forever Um, and the, the same thing's happening with gaming and and in contrast it's it's way easier to look back at retro gaming and be like wow actually this experience was more wholesome and i i'm i wholeheartedly agree if you just think about games now but that's the industry it was always to get you to play and make money yeah we just yeah the scale just got bigger and bigger and bigger
0: so so what let me ask you this it's lo, maybe a loaded question but what what is what is your favorite retro game uh, it's probably
2: how do you answer that
0: it's it's i i'm
1: prepared to answer this it's probably oh. duke nukem 3d
2: that's not even mm. retro.
1: <laughs> uh, look, I don't want to get into that, Pat, but um, I we're at the thirty, we're at the twenty-five year, we hit that twenty-fifth year anniversary for that, I think, uh, a couple that, years that's ago. Not right. So yeah. yeah, came out in 1996. Um, I was pretty young, had a computer um, as like a oh this is a, the newest thing, this IBM 386,
0: and wow, what an experience. So. It was interesting for sure. Certainly some things on that game that I, we couldn't, shouldn't repeat on a family family podcast.
1: Yeah, so. I, I think I was in fifth grade. And when I saw them, I like looked around the room. I'm like, oh my gosh, my parents didn't see this. This is incredible. And and Pat, to your comment, first thing I did was like have friends come over. I'm like,
0: load this level, go to this area, look at this. And they're like, wow. Do Do you, do you yeah. remember the one, I can't say everything on that game, but there was one, you go into this, like, one area, and on the TV, there's a little video of a white Ford Bronco. Yeah, yeah. That was that, <laughs> hilarious. The, yeah,
1: I mean, active in pop culture, interactivity, the, the game really hit all the marks for, aside from, like, pushing technology, it just was charming in every way, either, like, grotesque or crude or just
0: fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, going along with that, you know, since... You know, <laughs> I, since, you know I, I guess I wouldn't consider that retro gaming either, but it certainly is. Yeah, but, it's um, DOS. It, I mean, you know. it's DOS now.
2: I've uh, If I had to argue about this, and I don't want to argue about it, but if I had to argue about it, we still use x86 machines that could boot DOS. I'm on one right now. I, could, I mean, I can't, but we could boot DOS on here, and we can run... I mean, they won't run right because they cared about timing. There's problems. Yeah, but it's weird. It feels, in my mind, retro gaming started before you know is stuff that I can't run on my computer directly today. I guess I don't know. I don't want to argue. it. I said I didn't. Well, want to argue you, you don't, I don't have
1: one. to because I, I think someone tried to contain what retro was, and it was basically at, at least two generations old. Um, because console gaming is. Everyone tries to contain console gaming in a way they can talk about it. So yep. the X, the Xbox 360, and that generation is now retro because it's like two generations behind. And you're like, what? Yeah. Well, they don't like make that. it anymore. They, uh, yeah, is it's it out of print. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. obsolete, out of print. The games
2: and the hardware to run it on, both are.
1: Yeah. So uh, we can just meet in the middle and say it's vintage gaming, and then vintage no one's That's, no one's upset
2: oh that's gonna make me feel well, older i bet well if duke nukem is duke nukem 3d not yeah. the 2d one that i also remember but right that's
0: you know well you know as as wolfenstein 2d <laughs> retro that's definitely retro i, I yeah that I was on the so. apple too yeah and other, um, and other contemporaries hey, so, so going along with that what what is, what is your favorite retro build what's what I means is it is there there's a project that you think is just the pinnacle of your achievement? Or, uh, it's
1: uh, it's probably this nonchalantly in the so, background so far I should say. Yeah, it's it's this design and how it was executed. Um so I stopped like chasing to make an arcade and like during the pandemic is when I was what, like. What, re- what, do,
0: what do we have there? Where are you, and what do you have there behind you? Yep. Just, and you don't I, have to. So we- you don't
2: have to point because I'll put picture. I'll okay. I'll find. Um, I can give you. Imagery. I can give
1: you a better angle, but this is why I pushed the YouTube channel because this is all of these different designs are talked about. Um But this is, behind me is a two thirds scale arcade cabinet, so it's two thirds the size, Um and the special thing about it is. It is more like a kiosk or a shrine to older game consoles, so it has they all most of them except I think two have a thirteen inch tube t v and they just have like a nintendo sixty four a sega Genesis, a playstation one uh inside, so they are the console experience in an arcade presentation
0: hmm okay. Nice. And, so that you feel like that yeah i mean that is your your signature thing is that two-thirds size arcade cabinet that you know i guess you, you i guess you did or you still sell it to some to some extent
1: the, the plans that's... are free uh i so i the only thing i sell is if you watch the ad and don't have an ad blocker so that's that's all my compensation <laughs> nice yeah i saw it. I saw you
2: cutting these exact cabinets on a CNC. Are you doing that in-house yourself? Were you? I mean, I know you're not selling them now, but that was...
1: That was... That's all me doing that work, and that was just really to produce the ones in the basement and make sure the design was lived through. So, I mean, you can build build something once, uh, and there's, like, you know, things you want to fix, change. And once you get to, like, version 3... It's pretty well refined, but I I did six. I actually did a twelve of these, but um, did did six, and yeah, I was like every single thing I I've checked and made made the corrections that I wanted to. It goes together in the way I imagine, uh, lived in the user experience. So the plans are totally free, uh, and this is what you can build.
0: And and we're we're in your basement. Is that is that correct? You said that. Yeah. Okay, because it looks like it looks like you're at like a bowling alley or some fancy arcade or something. It looks. Oh, thanks! Looks Christmas like a lot of lights, fun.
1: And then you know these are the joists for the floor. Yeah, it's got that vibe. Okay. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I don't own a CNC. It's um they're very they're way they're very expensive. Um, yeah. And I've was, always
2: dreamed about having a CNC big enough to make arcade cabinets. Yeah. and
1: Let me tell you, uh, that dream just kind of like festered with me. So I, I found a way to get to them. One was the makerspace, but again, that makerspace went bankrupt in, uh, man, 2017. I think they just locked their doors because yeah, they were like, we're out of money. So sorry. Can't come in.
0: It's a hard, Just just like a normal gym.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was unfortunate. I mean, like tech shop, was very cool. The membership was, this is, we're talking like 2014 level of, of inflation. So membership was like $120 a month, which is a lot of money if you're working full time and you can only tinker like one weekend out of the whole month. So yeah. it was hard for them to attract members. Um, and yeah then suddenly when they had money problems membership went to like 150 and that only compounds like people are like it's not for me i can't do this um yeah. but the landscape sure. was like most of the 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 big um people that utilize it the most um quickly learned like everything they could in a year and ended up like building their own shop leaving yeah. or making the next step in their job so it yeah it's that's what you want people to do but to keep it funded was didn't work out
0: well well, listen Ryan, we you know we usually take away a um, coffee break in the middle here you know i feel like it's probably a good time to kind of you know take coffee break or group and we'll come back and after that what I, I maybe we can ask you a little more about your book um i really want to ask you about the indoor mountain bike park that oh, you've, yeah. you've worked with you know just some stuff about youtube whatever we could think of i'm sure we'll come up with some awesome stuff so we'll be right back sure
2: I'm supposed to introduce this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the coffee break. This is the part where we, Jeremy and I take a break here because you never know if we're going to have to wrangle in the podcast halfway through to stay on topic. And we also stop here so that we can thank all of our lovely patrons on Patreon. And Jeremy has a list and he is going to read them to you while I count them.
0: I do, I do. And I'll say, you know, this week, you know, we were actually doing the copy break after the show and uh, everything went pretty well. I mean, we, we did wrangle, we did discuss, but I, I felt like things were, things were all good. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, let's get our top five or so Patreons. So first of all, we got Carl. Carl, I saw you, saw you Tuesday this week. I didn't say hi to you, but I didn't mean to slight you. Thank you for your patronage. Uh, Michael Sizer, thank you for your patronage as well. Raptor, creatively spelled. We love that you spell the A as a four, four as an A, four as a whatever. An... Yeah, uh, Stuart Morrow, thank you so much. Standard spelling, as far as I know, so good for you. Uh, Brian Moses, and of course, positive waves. We uh we appreciate your all of your patronage. It's it's just awesome. So, um, makes us so feel much like we're and, doing a good job. Yeah, and Pat, if somebody did want to go to and support us monetarily what how would they do that
2: they would go to patreon.com slash create invent all one word Very and good. you don't even have to go to patreon and spend money we would be excited if you just click the little like button in whatever podcast app you are yeah. using on itunes on soundcloud or on youtube leave a comment all that stuff even if you just leave a comment that says i saw the coffee break I'm excited to leave a comment because Pat will be excited to read it. That would be nice. fine.
0: You know, speaking of that, I was listening to our podcast. So I generally do that on an app called Pod, Podcast Addict, you know, for whatever that's worth. And I I saw there was like a thumbs up thing, thing that I hadn't done in our own podcast. And I hadn't even thought about it. So, Did you go back and you know, do all
2: 52 episodes?
0: Well, I should. I don't know that I will. But the last one got a thumbs up for me at least. So... I think this one will too. So
2: good. Anyway, Jeremy likes this episode uh, already, and he really I do. does. I like it already. We got to the end, and he had a good time. I could tell.
0: All right, we'll get you back to your uh, same bat, same create yeah. channel, or Skeletor'll do it.
2: I think Skeletor does the same thing. Until next time.
0: Until next time, He-Man, or yeah, I don't
2: know what he There's says. There's fantastic memes of that. They're terrific. Look, if you like memes, look the Skeletor one. For.
1: The the most common feedback I get on is you know on YouTube and it's always like oh I don't have these tools and stuff and it's it's such a hard conversation to like break because you you don't need like a a CNC that fills your garage yes it's nice but also if you're just starting that's an overwhelming tool and your your skills probably aren't ready to actually utilize it so getting started is like getting started now exactly a, a yeah. jigsaw um and a router with the flush cut or flush trim that's it um yeah well yeah. i was
2: thinking for the team molding that was the. well
1: well yeah if you rough cut with a jigsaw then the flush trim will make a perfect duplicate yep yep <laughs> um but yeah you'll you'll need that team molding because otherwise it looks weird yeah it's i i've i've never owned any tool more than I think like $200 um, just because I've always wiggled my way into either a makerspace or, you know, somebody that has the tool. Uh, Cause you end up meeting these people. If, if you put your passion out there, it, it doesn't always work out. But you know, when you have 10 years of skills versus like, I'm just starting, where do I start? I'm like, wow, just, just start. Like it doesn't, you, you'll you get there. <laughs> just it's, yep. it's the attitude that gets you to that 10 year mark or 20 year mark um, it's it's always about the attitude. Well, one of
2: the things we've learned from our blogs is that people are afraid to start. Yeah. People they they're not brave mm-hmm. enough to make that first effort where you know they'll start building from there. And it's if you sure. can push people off that. Well, I guess you're not pushing them off a cliff. That's what I was gonna say. That would be it's, that would be terrible. I Don't th- push them off.
1: Yeah. A cliff. It's 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 putting yourself out there, and I, I think people's failure in their own eyes is the biggest debilitator because the first thing you make is probably going to be bad, but you're going to be happy. You're going to be proud and you're going to know how to make it better. And then that's, yep. that's the cycle.
0: You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, is you wrote a book and you touched on that, but yeah. what What's, what's the process like? That, that sounds fascinating. It's excruciating. Um, okay. so <laughs>
1: So YouTube and the website and um, big special secret is paying for um, Google ad clicks. So your search, you get pushed to the top in search results. So Arcade Kit, Arcade Cabinet, DIY Arcade. That really helped me basically accidentally land a book deal um, because it was... Uh, the book is Retro Gaming with Raspberry Pi by A-Press Media. Um, so it's you can find it on Amazon and... I don't know if it's still in Barnes and Noble, but it was there once. And I was like, wow. Um, (laughs) But this is a book just on how to set up a Raspberry Pi um, for like a retro gaming setup. And uh, I I also talk about how I built and show you the process of the mini arcades for Raspberry Pi, if that's something you want to attempt. So this all happened just because I had all my stuff out there and, you know, the Raspberry Pi carries itself in popularity and and books and publishing uh and a press media was writing a book and their main person uh just had to drop out they couldn't finish the book they had two chapters out of what they wanted was like six or seven uh so they just cold called me through an email and i was like oh wow a book to say i had wrote a book yeah i'll do it um so it was the worst summer of my life because I had to push out, like, 30 pages of, of basically, like, hard technical stuff. Because I had to produce all the CAD as well, um, which was any electrical schematic, any 3D model of, like, how I'm putting stuff together. And I had to do that in about four months because that was their deadline. Uh, and that was the condition of, like, it's got to be finished. Otherwise, the book is scrapped. So, wow. yeah, I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't know how hard this is going to be.
0: Uh, so, did, so, yeah. so, do you feel like it's uh, paid off monetarily, or at least uh, at least mentally? Maybe. I mean, well, you, can say yeah, you, I, you can say you've written books; so that's kind of cool. But
1: yeah, so I, I mean, publishing—I don't know much about it, only having done it once. But as a as an author that my name doesn't sell books, the negotiation was like you're like this is what you're going to get or nothing. Um, so I got really, really low um, like compensation, basically like um, I think 5% off the sale price of a book. So like the book's $30, so I get like a buck 50. Um, great. Um, right, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if that's yeah, good or bad. It's, it's not, be, it's because, you know, n- whatever's going to the publisher and then a significant portion more goes to the other person who wrote um, who started the book but didn't finish it? But their name has what carries way more weight, so that's just how it's going to work. Um, but oh, I did man. get uh, a lot of the royalties up front because you know it's four months of basically oh man, like 30 hours a week plus my full time job, like just pushing this book together. Um, so you get the royalties up front. Did it pay off? Um, not it, it wasn't for the money, it was to say. I wrote this book, so I guess I know what I'm talking about. If if it ever came up like that, like I needed that to prove it, it, it was just an opportunity to do something, and I want to do it.
0: I wrote, I wrote the book on retro gaming. Exactly, and we literally have,
1: which which has never come up organically, but I like to have it in my head just to be like, "Ah, if you think you know? Oh, I wrote a
0: book." Okay. Um, but you know? it, yeah, but I I know exactly. It's on- I'm on the cover here yeah. of this book. <laughs> well, I'm, that, that's, I'm on uh, the cover of a book Jeremy,
2: except Are it's you? not me. There's a there's a guy who writes UFO conspiracy books in print right. on bookshelves with my name. We just oh, have well, the same name. Well,
0: I, I mean, that's kinda, that seems like a conspiracy to me.
2: I still don't have them on my bookshelf, and I feel like I should.
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody you prob- would know. probably should. Yeah, I. Mean, <laughs> It's it's weird. It, it was so much work. I I wasn't super, like, after it's published, they like send you like ten copies for yourself for you and family, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't I don't care. I had so much work. It was so <sighs> grueling, but mm. it's cool. I have it.
0: So would you do it again? I guess probably not,
1: or maybe. On the same topic, n- no because it was, it was such technical stuff. Um, if it was more like thoughts and feelings, yeah, sure. But technical writing, um, pretty hard to produce. So no. Okay. So we might see a deep thoughts with
0: Ryan Bates. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Like, like our discussion early on, like
0: vintage gaming. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, that'd be more like a, like a pamphlet though, I guess.
2: Well, not, that not, that
0: you, not, that you, not that you propose this book. There
2: are decades of retro gaming, vintage gaming, to talk about, Jeremy. Oh,
0: decades. yeah. And I yeah,
1: mean, there's no end mag- the magazines that come out that are new,
0: retro, um, those are cool. I like those. I saw a magazine. It was like World War II magazine. I'm like, there is nothing new that happens <laughs> in World War II at this point. Right. But I guess, yeah, I guess people are into it. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I into mean. That's, that's the wrong, that seems like a bad thing to be into. Well. I, I understand it. It's history and such. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the best
1: way was someone said you can be romantic about it, and I think that just captures, like, sometimes it's hard to explain when you're just into somebody, and you can be romantic about stuff, so. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's, that's a good way to put it. I, I,
1: I can't explain it, so I just go with that, and I'm like, I'll put that thought behind me and just move on.
0: Good enough, Patton. Let's, let's you had any questions. I, I
1: well, I have. Que- I want to know if you
2: can write a book about indoor mountain bike tracks.
0: Uh, I would be the wrong
1: person, um, but I guess we should segue on to the indoor bike park. Um,
2: I I I'm I want to ride few- half a segue in your indoor bike park.
1: So it's which it's only it's only and i've you know i'm many people have asked it's only mountain yeah, bikes so, so
0: what what is what is this first of all what are, what are we what are we even talking about because i okay let's back i kind of know but so there is a, than I a do.
1: i don't remember the square footage it's like two city blocks though of old warehouses so pittsburgh has a lot of abandoned warehouses from steel mills that just went under um you know after um after like the late 80s that was the end of it all but it was even before that so anyway we have a lot of empty buildings that the city is like please do something with this um the indoor bike park is i think about six years old it's called the wheel mill it's a magical place um take an entire um industrial warehouse gut it and put plywood jumps ramps uh, in it, but all built by experience um, BMX and mountain bikers. So these jumps flow. the angles and adjusted velocities of like the starting heights are all done with experience and actual like this is this makes sense. You can learn good skills off this, you won't die. Uh, and that's this bike park. So it's it's that's mainly sense. like BMX. Um, but it has mountain bike trails it has beginner trails Uh, i can give you the layout of they have like a three foot jump beginner section where you're learning they have a pump track which is like lots of rolling hills uh, that you don't pedal you just kind of push the bike into the the downhill of it and you go faster that's what a pump track is there's a like technical mountain bike which is like lots of logs and weird seesaws for a mountain bike and like slow technical balance uh there's a a mini ramp which is essentially a half pipe uh, but just like a foot shorter from being um, seven feet it's six feet half pipe and then a a large room with jumps between like six foot to ten foot
0: uh in height Uh, and that's this bike park sounds awesome I, I won't be doing the 10 foot jump anytime what's have you done the 10 foot jump or is yeah that, is it your thing yeah
1: um this so i started um i think six years ago uh like i and i've never ridden like this before i'd always like been into the x games when i was little i'm like oh man i want to do that and then i moved to one side of the city and i was at the time i was 30 years old so now i've put my age out there Uh, And it was only, like, 10 minutes away from the bike park. And I just was like, okay, I'll just go once because there's no excuses now. And, well, then once turned into, like, four months of running a bike just to, like, can I get any better? Can I get the wheels off the ground? (laughs) Um, And that was – that worked okay. And so – I I did most of my practice on the pump track, which is really about speed. And they, they had no instruments to, like, measure your time. They had told me, like, when they do competitions or contests, they have a guy with a stopwatch. And, you know, there's some error in there when it comes down to the, you know, fractions of a second. Exactly. So I offered, like, hey, I can make you an automatic lap timer to help you out. Because, like, I like this place. And sometimes, you know, when you like something, helping it grow benefits everybody. Um, so I was compensated f- with free membership, and they basically knew, like, ah, if, if that guy gets better, he'll always stick around, and th- they won that <laughs> one. So I've I've been a paying
0: member for like five years now. It wasn't a full, it wasn't a lifetime free membership. It no,
1: was like it a- was it was. Uh, I think it was six months because um, basically that was the cost of parts to build it. Equivalent, equated to like six months of um, membership at the time. Um, How so, much is a
0: membership there?
1: Uh, if, if you pay for a year, it's um it's about $42 a month, like after taxes. Okay. Like um, the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, so if they have rentals there too, so if you don't have a bike, you can rent a bike, um, and that's actually how like I discovered like oh this is what a good bike is. It's not from Walmart. It's so, so do you ride uh, BMX or do you have mountain
0: mountain I, I bike? I rode
1: I rode BMX for like three years there, um, and then I my skills kind of well the plateaus of skills kind of go all over the place. Um, but I I had a, I invited a couple friends who were like mountain bikers or road bikers. So they picked a, what's called a dirt jumper, which is 26 inch tires. And the frame cuts down real hard right to the back tire, hmm. which means like the seat, it basically is sitting on the tire. You have a lot of leg room. Um, right. So when, the, like I went with them and I would like, oh, let me try your bike. That's cool. And uh after like a month, I was like, wait a second. I think a dirt jumper is better for me. Um I'm, I'm hmm. over six feet tall. So BMX, can either work or not work it's just kind of if it feels right. good uh, so i switched to a dirt jumper and i've been riding that for about three years and um it's it's the best
0: very uh, neat so, so I, I mean i i find this fascinating because I, I i rode mountain bikes for quite a while when i J- lived in the jeremy lived,
2: do you take your mountain bike off any sweet jumps
0: <laughs> not anymore and not, not that sweet i think i think three feet was the. Uh, was the high limit for me. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I lived in, um, I live in Florida now. So there's not a, I mean, actually there is supposedly there are some places you can go, but I just haven't done it. I, I ride my mountain bike on <laughs> trails and you know, like cycle cycle across. I guess would be yeah. the right way to put it. Um, but man, I would love to try something like that. Uh, at the same time, I'm thinking like, man, maybe I'm like, Old enough, I shouldn't do that. see. Okay, so yeah, that's that's what that's the
1: attitude thing. So the way the park is built, everything can be rolled over. You don't have the tires never have to leave there. You can just treat it like a really big hump or hill, um, right. and it's and it's and it's hitting that hill, not maybe a dozen times, but maybe like a couple hundred times is where your confidence and your like bike skills start to like track in the same direction. And then you like oh pop that tire off like maybe a centimeter and you do that for a month and you're like two centimeters and then and then you're flying. Uh, But I I will say like I started when I was 30 and didn't have any of these like base skills. I still and always ride with a constant fear of getting hurt. Um I, that will never escape me. And it's what I'm always like envious of like the younger kids. Cause you know, they started when they're six, 12, they don't have the fear of like crippling themselves and not being able to go to work. So you can ride a little bit differently, but you can still
0: enjoy yourself. Nice. I, I mean, w- when I was riding more, you know, when I was in more mountain in South Carolina, more mountainous area, not that it's that mountainous, but you know, I got to where I could, you know, I could take a three foot drop pretty, pretty easily. But man, there was a part of the place I usually rode. It was um, like an experimental forest. Anyway, they had a lot of trails. There's one section that was designed for downhill riding, and I would do some of it. But there was one thing. It was like a diving board, and I could be in my mind, but it seemed like it was about twenty feet, twenty or thirty feet to the bottom. And you know, we saw some people go off this, and it's like that is insane. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know what I don't know where I'm going with that.
1: There's so I occasionally see pros or ex pros or semi pros in the space and the the skill ceiling and gap to like the average rider is there's there's little comparison because uh, they ride with such a high skill and such a high i guess like zest for just shredding those jumps like they, (laughs) they 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 the ceiling is a problem for them because they they could hit it if they wanted to like you mean um, literally the literal the, ceiling above the literal hand, ceiling of the, of the warehouse like where the beams are supporting the roof um the jumps are placed like in between the gaps but i mean these guys
0: could hit it if they wanted to and um that, that'd be pretty that'd be a pretty gnarly uh yeah. that would really be really painful it, I, yeah hopefully if, i mean like, you, hit, you hit on the top and then you hit on the bottom that's not yeah that's not normal yeah but and one of those
2: you don't hit as hard as the other you're That's true. It would own. just be
1: like a light tap, and then you're like, "Wow, I'm going sideways." Um, oh, but it's—I'd say when you get it, when you see that, you don't feel like underskilled in a sense of like, "I'm not motivated now." You feel pumped up. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's a nice community, and it's nice to see even such a high threshold of skill in person. Uh, it's a great motivator, and everyone—everyone nice. everyone there is. Um, so engaging and nice and encouraging because you know they're still empathetic of like, yeah, I started just where you're starting and you're starting so you'll get there huh.
0: it's it's really well, yeah, fun. if if I ever get to pittsburgh I, I would man I would love to do that <laughs> yeah,
1: um let me know i i'll I'll ride with you oh and that'd be that'd be that'd I, be awesome I still too. don't Girl. I don't I don't know when I'm gonna stop because it's it's it was one of those activities that I kind of was always looking for something you do that you don't think about anything else when you're doing it. And it's nice to have one of those like brain reset things.
0: Right. Um, so well, yeah. I guess it's nice to hear too that, you know, I'm, I'm six, six, three, six, four. So, you know, if you're pretty tall too, I guess they have bikes, you know, bikes yeah. that are so big enough for
1: you. You'll want, I mean, look at the dirt jumpers. Those are 26 inch tires. Um, and those just give you a lot of leg room to, um, maneuver the bike and take jumps. Basically your your legs are springs, so your knees got to bend. Um so the dirt right. jumpers are designed for that. But you can still ride a mountain bike with full suspension
0: or a hardtail and have fun there. Tangentially related to this, I thought you made a bunny hop progress bar. I th- I thought that was pretty ingenious. So like it's basically like a what's the what's the Well, like you know, like a high jumper or a yeah. pole vaulter. Yeah, it's whatever. a high
1: it's a high jump bar but for bikes. Yeah, so that was um When we were in lockdown, like, the bike park closed, the gym closed, and I was like... that's too bad. Yeah, there was was nothing to do um, other than, you know, watch YouTube, which was also... I feel
0: feel like a gigantic space like that would be ideal for, like, a... Pandemic, yeah, but, but maybe not.
1: Exactly, but I mean when the when all the rules came down from our governor, um that was essentially like it was classified as an amusement space. Um so it was not on the list of able to be open. Uh so it was closed for like 4 months. So, um <laughs> I I pulled my bike out of the storage like cuz you can store your bike there if you pay for that. So I, I took it home and I'm like, "All right, well, I'll just hop on some curbs, you know, to get my fill. Basically like that, focus on the That's what I hard. used to know
2: how to do when I was small. Was it's it's a curb. sweet
1: skill. Like honestly, again, like you mess it up, like you're going down like a cheese grater on on that pavement.
0: Cuz yeah, I mean, you know, pointing back to retro gaming on Paperboy, if you hit the curb, you're dying. You're yeah. done. I don't yeah. I don't know. Okay, yeah. you guys remember yeah, that. Yeah,
1: you don't um you don't you fully commit to hopping a curb. So that these were this was all I was doing, like, downtime and work when I wanted to just, you know, uncheck from being in front of a computer. So I ended up making that, like, high jump bar to, like, well, if I... Because I was under that impression, like, well, if I can't go to the bike park for, like, four months, my skills are going to regress. So if I focus on fundamentals, I'll have a better foundation. Um, yeah, it, it actually is true. It's totally true. So the high jump focuses on like super precise muscle memory and mm. i i
0: just did that for way too many hours nice yeah you know every once in a while like i can i can bunny hop my mountain bike you know i could do it pretty well with clips and full suspension but now i don't use either one and it's like now it's like you know like like three inches or something <laughs> it's hey not...
1: that's yeah i mean i think i average like six inches and that's that's all it is because i mean um when I was hitting plateaus of like in the bike park like I couldn't just get over the big jumps um it, it was things it was uh coming to terms with like you got to practice more than once a week cuz that's all I was doing I'd go like every weekend um so I would go 3 times a week and I would just drill the thing I was stuck on and it was only until um, doing it three to four times a week where you break through that plateau. So don't be upset right. if like you're only doing a little bunny hop. It's just because you're not committed to going past that plateau.
0: I feel like we're going way too deep into this for, for this particular podcast. I, but I, I, this, is an, this is a huge interest of mine. I, I don't know. I, I, I love riding bicycles and they're mechanical. So it's yeah. close enough, right? It's Yeah. And we're –
1: Bicycle maintenance is important, everybody. So if you do do this kind of um, torment to your bike, especially when you're learning, you're going to, like, case every jump. And you're going to put shockwaves through that bike that make things come loose that you didn't know could come loose. So please, if you don't know bicycle maintenance, um, get your bike inspected, like, every couple of months at a bike shop. um, Or just, like, talk to somebody who knows um, and touch your bike, feel your bike. Because if those spokes start to get squished, you're going to mess yourself up. Oh, and that's a it, that I learned that the hard way.
2: It's pretty reasonably priced to get your bike work done at a bike shop, too. When when my wife got an electric bike, we were having her shifter wasn't working quite right. And I didn't really understand how to adjust it. I tried and I didn't do a good job, and it was not expensive to get that.
0: Shifters are tough. Shifters are tough to get right. But you know how I, I fixed that? Did you take it to the bike I took shop? Every, <laughs> no. I, I got a new I took bike. My shif, took my shifters off. And turned it into a single speed.
2: Yeah, all so right.
0: I got, got rid of the shifters altogether, which you can do in Florida because it's all, like, flat. Yeah. Too, so, yeah, you know. Jeremy, That's it's bird. flat
2: here, but our bike path has two or three, like, there's about 15 miles of bike path right behind my house. It, like, paved. You could drive a car on it, but you're not allowed to, but it's wide <laughs> enough to That's drive good. a car on right. it. Right. And there are some actual hills on there that they've paved into it. And it's it's tough to get up them if you're
0: It's like why do you ride a bike? Why 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 do you even ride a bike? You ride it for exercise. So, you know, if single speed is getting you that what you need there. Yeah. You know what you, I'm saying? You, you it's like what's bike, your motive.
1: Yeah, you ride it for you. That's that's all you have to answer to. But yeah, when you when you get into brands and like, oh I got these new bars, look at these grips, these pedals, yeah. Um that's that's all aesthetic stuff. Cool. I'm glad you are into that. Um but I, I just rode it for fun and yeah. th- th- if, it helps
2: if it's single speed. Is it literally single speed or did you just pick one of the, pick one of the existing sprockets to put the chain on? You're so like, I pulled, oh, yeah. I pulled the shifters out. I like you picked third gear and said, that's my gear now. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, pr- pretty much like, I don't know you know, that bike, it's like the, uh, the bike of Theseus, you know, it's like everything's been replaced on it and it's, it's now, it's still the bike I had 10 years ago, but it's, it's like a different bike at this point.
1: Wait, I, uh, Jeremy, I have a question for you. How many bikes do you own?
0: Uh, one, one fewer than I'd like, right? Isn't that the right answer?
1: <laughs> no, uh. no
0: i i I, I have uh, I have two bikes. One is the one I pretty much ride around, and the other one I um, it's you know, it's a full suspension, like a more of a mountain bike, you know, heavy heavy hitter. But I actually, it's actually smaller of my two bikes. So during the pandemic, since you couldn't get a bike, I actually set it up so my wife could ride it. But yes, I have two. What about yourself? Two to and my
1: follow-up is i thought either pat or jeremy if you if you own a bike do you store it indoors like in a climate controlled space
0: i i store it in my garage which is not not climate controlled but okay I, I indoors. what about yourself
1: I, I do i love my bike i just I, I could never put it in like the shed and make it feel like that so i break it in the house <laughs> and i get yelled at all the time
0: but okay yeah well, Our uh...
2: garage doesn't get that too cold, that cold or that wet. Right, well, I have my, seen a my... tool rust out, though. There was a drill that got rusted, you know, on the, the gears on the inside. Yeah, rusty. that's
1: what I'm worried about. I just couldn't treat my bike like that. I keep my yeah, wheel in no. the
2: house, though. It's in the living room of all places. But
1: I'll also tell like, my shed is a, like, one of those erect-it-yourself rubber-made plastic, mm. yeah. like, it's, so I just, like, I can't do this. My friend yeah, Joe it's...
2: built a shed in his backyard. He called it a shed, but it had it had a toilet, plumbing, electricity, <laughs> it's not a shed. air conditioning. But he said yeah. it was a shed.
1: I've so seen lots it's... of
0: sheds have toilets in them. It just depends if It was. A oh, plumbed. this one's
1: plumbed. Yeah, this one's. Okay. plumbed. That's uh, so. modest guy or just way too skilled. Yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah. that's the
2: word to use, I guess. I don't. I don't yeah. know.
1: the building behind the house. That's is a shed. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, uh, listen, Ryan. We, we, man, it's been fun talking to you. What, is there anything else uh, you'd like to? Anything else you'd like to cover that we haven't uh, haven't talked about today? I mean, um,
1: I, I, don't think so. This is everything. I mean, just if if you're interested in what I do, uh, please check out my YouTube channel. It's just YouTube slash um, Retro Built Games, or you can just find me like Ryan Bates Arcade on YouTube, and eventually you'll sort it out.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and, uh, and we'll have a retro link in the games. description wherever they yeah. will oh, allow yeah, us yeah, please. To, to do that. Yeah, and Pat, work work when we find you. Oh, it, you can find that, uh... me at
2: my website, Jeremy, or in my office here. I'm here most okay. days, nice. every day. But my website is patshead.com, We'll put that in the description, and it's got links right. to all the other weird places you can find me. I'm around. If you Google my name, you're going to find UFOs or there's a comedian <laughs> now with my name. Oh. Who is getting famous so like the hardest
0: yeah.
1: career is a comedian's right i believe i mean that. i
0: would think i would think neurosurgeon but i suppose well i don't know yeah i mean that that's a whole other debate oh yeah, yeah, i could techni- be a
2: neurosurgeon jeremy it's not hard it's just yeah, i wouldn't but, do well could you take the, not the criticism many, not many of my patients would survive <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, your patients aren't going to be criticizing you afterwards. No, so, never. You know. I've never yeah. had a complaint from any of my patients. I've never had a complaint. <laughs> and, yeah, you can find me uh, various. Just look up Jeremy Cook or I'm on this podcast and you should be able to find me. So thanks so much, Ryan. It was a pleasure talking to you. Pat, it really was. Always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you both. Um, thanks for having me. It, it was fun to chat. See you later. See you. Bye, guys.
2: Yeah. I'm going to find all the right buttons to hit. Oh, he's gone. Oh,
1: oh he
0: just, uh, oh
2: That's fine. Yeah, his stuff was—he was at ninety-nine percent. He'll be at a hundred or close to him. Yeah, everything went engineering instead of arcades, so I was—it's fine, but it wasn't—I oh. uh, wasn't—I wasn't as prepared. I think you did a fantastic job, Jeremy.